Hello and welcome to Giving Ventures, a podcast to help you grow your giving and change the world for the better. Each episode, we share innovative charitable efforts leveraging private philanthropy to solve public problems. I'm your host, Peter Lipset, Vice President at Donors Trust. This show is a product of Donors Trust, the oldest and largest donor advised fund focused on helping conservative and libertarian donors of all capacities simplify, protect, and grow their giving. My colleagues and I talk with a lot of groups doing great work. This show lets us share a bit of what we learned with you so you can discover new projects for your own philanthropy. So many of the discussions about school choice have to do with the types of schools themselves, public and charter, private, parochial, etc. Well, equally important for many parents is the pedagogy and the method of teaching. One of my daughters is in a traditional public school, and that works great for her. But the other one's in a Montessori-style school, and that is the right fit for her. Well, today's episode focuses on one style that is rapidly growing across the country, classical education. Classical schools take a major focus on the liberal arts and leveraging the humanities, arts, Western cultural tradition to inspire kids to think and learn and engage. Such schools can come in many different packages. We'll hear from Robert Jackson of Great Hearts Institute and the Great Hearts Schools, which are all operating in a charter school environment. Entrepreneur and philanthropist Bob Luddy will tell us about Thales Academy, a private school option for classical education. Then, rounding it out, we'll hear from Kathleen O'Toole from Hillsdale College's K-12 initiative, which is largely focused on bringing the classical curriculum to any sort of school. Whether you are a donor thinking through new ways to invest your charitable dollar in school choice efforts, or a parent looking for new ways to give your kids an A-plus education, or just need a little optimism about the state of schools, well, this episode is for you. Let's jump in. We'll lead off today talking with Robert Jackson, Executive Director of the Great Hearts Institute, which contains the Great Hearts Academies. Great Hearts Institute is the leading convener and cheerleader of the classical education movement, while the academies put those ideas into action in now coming up on four states uh, and online as well. So, Robert, I gave a bumbling explanation at the top of the show about exactly what classical education is. How about you offer our listeners a better definition of what a classical education is? Well, let me give it a try. I would say that classical education represents just a vast body of thought that's been passed down to us over millennia. I mean, you and I are sitting here uh, you know, with the medium of this technology engaged in a conversation using the English language, right? And that's an inheritance. Lots of words, scientific terms, turns of phrase, all kinds of shades of meaning that can be found in our language. And it's nearly 1,500 years of a legacy. If you think back to you know, the 5th century with the Saxons or the 11th century with the Norman Conquest or then the high watermark of the 16th century, about the time Shakespeare showed up, all of us are inheritors of that language. And for every language that we speak in this world, uh, that is a medium that conveys a body of thought that comes down through the generations. So, to put it very precisely, I'm going to borrow a phrase from Thomas Arnold, a 19th century classical educator himself. He said that the liberal arts, classical education, is the best that's been said and thought. And I would go ahead and add that it's also the best that's been discovered and created. So whether it's the arts or sciences, history, technology, anthropology, philosophy, you just name it, classical education represents a storehouse of the best thought, the best music and art, the best inventions, 
the best understanding of what leads to a flourishing life, and this is important for classical education, does seek to fulfill us as human beings intellectually and morally. So we'll get into the mechanics of these classical schools, but just how big of a universe of schools are we talking here that follow a quote-unquote classical model of education? Well, estimates do vary, and uh, there are a number of schools that are propagating this model. It's a little tough to track down at times, but thanks to the gathering of schools and associations that are both public and private at the National Symposium, this is under the aegis of the Institute, the Great Arts Institute, we're getting a clearer picture. In the public sector, mostly under charter laws, we have nearly 250 classical charter public schools, right? and that they serve about 125,000, 130,000 students. Great Arts Network is a leading charter management organization, and they have 40 schools with more than 25,000 students. Now, on top of that, another 600 or so private, mostly religious schools are found nationwide, and they serve just about the same number of students. They're a little smaller uh, individually, proportionally, but they serve about the same number of students. Now, on top of those 250,000 students that are, that are sitting in brick-and-mortar schools, we know that homeschoolers, and there's a variety of new models, especially after the COVID pandemic, micro schools, cottage schools, different types of co-ops. The homeschoolers represent an even larger number of students uh, seeking the classical alternative. And that population, notoriously difficult to identify or to count, is probably somewhere around 3 million school-aged children. And I would conservatively estimate that 10 to 15% of them are receiving some form of classical education. So homeschoolers are probably 300, maybe 450,000 students nationwide. So all in, all in, uh, we're talking about something in the neighborhood of 700, 800,000 students uh, would be, I think, a fairly conservative estimate of those receiving a classical education. And how does it work? And, and part and parcel of that, why does it work? I mean, why, mm. how, is, how different is a classical education from the, you know, pretty good public school, traditional education I got when I was in elementary school? Well, the short answer is that classical education focuses on human excellence, and that's both in academic studies, but also in the development of character. We want young people in a classical school to be intelligent and insightful, but we want them to be good people. So that emphasis on, on, on excellence comes across in everything that we do. We, you know, if you think about it, Peter, we don't, we don't hesitate to admire exceptional athletes or extraordinary musicians or performers and even exemplary men and women of character. So what we're doing in these classical schools are providing those exemplars from the curriculum that highlights the best minds and the best lives that we have come to discover. And obviously I can enumerate some of those for you. I don't, I don't want to you know, sort of um, badger your audience, but I think it's important for us to recognize the spiritual and political leadership of someone like Martin Luther King Jr. or Frederick Douglass the statesmanship of Abraham Lincoln or James Madison, you know, the fierce activism to abolish slavery and obtain women's suffrage from Susan B. Anthony or William Wilberforce. I mean, these are just a handful of individuals from the last two centuries. And this tradition actually goes back into history, all the way back to antiquity. And a classical education emphasizes these elements of excellence that we have inherited. Philosophical, humane, liberal arts education. That's why it works, because it has that whole sweep of human excellence in view. So, you know, we've talked a lot about the, the big picture stuff, because 
with the Great Hearts Institute, you do so much in convening of this kind of classical education movement in general. But let's talk about the Great Hearts Academies a little bit, where you actually get your hands dirty and uh, work with these kids in, in the classical brick and mortar environment. You continue to expand these. I feel like every time I talk to you, you're in another state. So tell us about these schools. Well, Great Hearts is a not-for-profit charter school organization, a charter management organization. And it was founded 21 years ago. These are public schools. Uh, The co-founders chose the name Great Hearts, just for the record, because our first commitment is to ensure that students have great hearts, right? A deep connection to one another and to moral purpose, to character. Now, Great Arts was founded by, by folks who, as I've said at the highest level, were interested in young people becoming good intellectually and morally, thinking deeply, loving noble things, living well. And they took this to the, to, the, uh, to the public square in the form of a charter school nearly 21 years ago now. And uh, at the time, the single school, a rented facility, had 120 students, grades 7 to 9, uh, in the first phase of Great Hearts development, uh, we saw growth to multiple schools that, uh, that came online within the first five to six years. We had close to a thousand students uh, across multiple academies here in Phoenix. Now, the second stage of development was, was where growth really kicked in, seemed to sort of be supercharged uh, in that the uh, second phase, we got up to nearly 6,000 students, and this was just before I arrived in 2013. The last phase that, that we're sort of living through or that we've just come out of was a growth to nearly 12,000 students as we went from Arizona, Phoenix, into Texas, San Antonio, and then we have schools now in the DFW, the, the Dallas and Fort Worth Metroplex, and our Current status is nearly 26,000 students between the two states and three metropolitan areas with the ambition in the next four years to get to 50,000 students. So that's the, that's the trajectory of Great Heart's growth. Um, and it's all premised on the notion that if we provide a very sound education, one that is both intellectual and morally alive, that families will recognize the difference and be drawn to it because these are classical charter schools. Um, and we have been very, I mean, we've been very fortunate to be received so well within the communities where we operate. And it is a very local enterprise. That is to say, we may have a CMO with 40 schools, but each one of our academies is where the genius is at. That's where the activity takes place. That's where the life is lived and the community is born. So what is the biggest challenge to expanding great hearts, but also expanding just classical schools in general? I mean, is it parents understanding the value of the pedagogy? Is it limits on charters, which I know, you know, depending on the state can be a question. Is it just good old money? What, what prevents uh, further penetration of these classical schools? Yeah, well, I'd have to say all of the above, but, but to be specific, it is about time, talents, and treasure, right? Because... We need more vocal supporters from thought leaders across the country. More time on the airwaves and the cable channels and the internet to make the case for classical, because many are unfamiliar with this model. Anyone willing to look honestly at what we do, acknowledge that this form is revitalizing the common good with a common educational inheritance, should be speaking out on behalf of classical education. So I really appreciate the opportunity to be here in part, Peter, because getting the word out 
is, is a good bit of what we need to do. We need to have, again, those thought leaders and those folks who have a platform speak on behalf of classical and just come and see it for themselves and then report back to the larger, uh, you know, to, to the country, what it is that's going on in classical education. But we also need talented people. So talent is, is, is a crucial element, and it's not always so easy to identify those folks serve to, to, who will serve in classrooms and lead school communities. But our extraordinary growth alone, not to mention all of the schools that we see nationwide who are, who are beginning to, to develop or grow into their own, so much work has to be done. And so we must find those fellow travelers and those willing to undertake this good work um, we have to find talent, and that means the college level, folks who are seeking a second career, perhaps, others who, by dint of their interest in the subjects, uh, really want to teach the next generation. We've got to find the talent. But I would say that the treasure and the philanthropy, if I may, uh, the philanthropic community needs to rediscover classical education. It is the birthright of every citizen, and we have to remember that this country's great wealth, our influence, depends upon our commitment and our pursuit of first principles. So we've inherited those and they are embodied in the great works that we study in classical schools and we just must pass them along to the next generation. So if we want to see the entrepreneurial spirit continue to, to permeate our society and if we hope to leave a legacy of liberty to our grandchildren, then we must recover classical education in America. Well, that is a excellent synopsis of why it's important and uh, why you all are so passionate about this and, and the value of the schools, but also a value of bringing all these schools together to, to continue to build this movement. So Robert, really appreciate you talking to us about all this today. Thank you, Peter. I appreciate your time. Well, Robert just mentioned that entrepreneurial spirit and our next guest, mm -hmm. Bob Luddy, uh, has for years embodied that entrepreneurial spirit in a lot of ways, in business and in the nonprofit community. Bob uh, founded Captive Air, which is a leading manufacturer of commercial kitchen ventilation systems, as well as commercial HVAC systems. And since founding that company in 1976, he's grown it into a multi-million dollar business with over 1,900 employees uh, phenomenal success. If you've ever been in the commercial kitchen, you have probably seen Bob's products. But beyond business, Bob is passionate about helping kids get the best education possible. He founded Thales Academy, a network of private K-12 schools that emphasizes academic excellence, character development, and affordable tuition. So Bob, so good to see you. Good to talk to you. Uh, I don't think I've ever asked you this, but why is education so important to you? such that uh, you don't just put your charitable dollars behind it, but you actually put some sweat equity behind it as well. Well, one thing I noticed early on in the formation of the company is a lack of skill development. You know, in some extremes, individuals in the plant uh, could not read fractions. So if you had a 10 and one eighth panel, they couldn't read that fraction, which to me was shocking. And then as I, my children began to grow up, I observed their friends and many of them you know, lack the skills uh, as they went through high school to really uh, access the American way. So while some students did very well in public school, there's a whole large number, maybe two thirds of them uh, that have not done as well as they need to in terms of having a really good paying job and having the skills they need. I felt, I felt it was like grossly unfair to these children 
that they're not even given the opportunity to access the American way because of lack of education. So that's what motivated me to get involved in education. You started the first Thales school in 2007, I believe. Um, and at yeah. that time, just an elementary school, right? Correct. Uh, but prior to that, in 98, I opened the public charter school, Franklin Academy. So uh, North Carolina had the charter schools capped at 100, which led me in 07 to open the private Thales K-5. Gotcha. So yeah, that was my question is, is what prompted you to open it? And, and particularly what prompted you to open it with a classical approach? Well, the original uh, K-5, we used direct instruction for reading, math, phonics, reading comprehension. But as we moved into the 612, uh, I had the, the advantage of learning the classical curriculum in high school and, and in college. And it's absolutely the best uh, curriculum in terms of developing a depth and breadth of intellectual and moral understanding of the world. So we adopted the classic curriculum, which teaches teach students to be good thinkers, good writers, uh, be aware of what transpired over the last two to 3,000 years, and it's proven to be very successful. And it's not just that one school anymore, and it's not just K-5 anymore. It's a, mm. it's a whole ecosystem. So talk to us about what the Thales universe looks like today. Well, today we have uh, 13 campuses, three of which are what we call 612 schools, and the remainder are either K-5 or K-8. So typically we might run a school to be a K-8 and then build a nearby campus at 612, and then it would revert back to a K-5. Or in some cases, it may just operate as a K-8. Um, both models work. Uh, we also have um, six um, campuses under development. So we expect by the end of uh, 24, we will have close to 19 campuses open. Again, combination of K-5 and 612 uh, campuses. Uh, this summer, we will have 6,600 6, students in Thales. And are all those in North Carolina? All but two. One's in uh, Richmond, Virginia, and the other's in Franklin County, Tennessee, which is Nashville area. Oh, got it. So you're, you're in three states now. Mm -hmm. and, uh, I imagine we'll continue to grow in, uh, in those other states too, right? Yeah. One thing to keep in mind that if you have a small model that's really good, People will tend to say, well, anybody could do a small model. So it takes a really large model to convince people that in various geographies with different types of people and, and backgrounds and grades pre-K all the three twelfth, you can produce really good schools. People take notice. And we have very good evidence of the fact that these schools have a profound impact on the way people think about K-12 education. What is uh, some of the way you've seen their thinking change? Well, one thing they take note of, they see students and they, they have a dress code. So if they see them out in public, they'd say, those kids always look good. They, you know, they have a dress code. And they notice uh, students go to a museum. They're so well disciplined. <laughs> um, and then they hear from neighbors or friends or their own kids or grandkids. Hey, these kids can read at a very young age. We have a huge emphasis on reading. Uh, even my own uh, five grandchildren are in Thales, and I've been able to track their reading progress. And once they learn to read, 
the world's open to them. And that would be typically, they're pretty decent readers in the second grade. And by the fifth grade, they're excellent readers. But even more importantly, they're interested in reading. That's what I've observed. And when they start to read, they're really engaged in the intellectual learning process. In North Carolina and in many states, this is a huge problem. For example, currently in North Carolina, about half the students coming out of the third grade cannot read at a third grade standard. It's pretty shocking, but it's reality. So those, those students may eventually learn to read, but they're going to struggle their whole life because they're behind. Now, all of the Thales schools are private schools, correct? Um, and so when, when you talk about private schools, you talk about tuition, things aren't free. I know I have one of my kids in private <laughs> school. Um, but I know you always stress affordability. That's very important to you. Talk to me about the affordability and, and what, is, what does affordability mean? And how do you keep those costs low and accessible? Well, we began in 07, uh, tuition at $5,000. Over time, due to inflation, that's more like 6000 In North Carolina, there is an opportunity scholarship that pays about $6,000. So uh, families with in, uh, income below 85000 can qualify for that voucher. And that family income is being raised every single year. So to me, affordable is that a middle-class family can afford to put two to three students in school at the same time. And if you look at private school, we are typically 50% lower than the average private school and two thirds lower than the fancy Dan expensive <laughs> private schools. And so we can witness uh, middle-class families. And here's another important point. If a family has to sacrifice to pay tuition, a reasonable tuition, they have to make trade-offs and that puts them more engaged in that education. Now they're paying for it. They want, they want what they're paying for so that by their very nature, they become more engaged with that student in their homework. Uh, they also have to drop their uh, children off and pick them up every day. That's a further engagement. So what we end up with is high parental engagement. And, uh, family sacrifices that are leading toward good formation and intellectual development. So there's a lot of good things happening concurrently that you might not think about. You know, one of the pushbacks that people give to charter schools, classical schools, uh, school choice in general, is that it makes it, it's inaccessible for lower income parents. How, how much, how, what percentage of your folks are low income or, you know, might otherwise just be struggling along in a bad public school? The majority of our parents are middle income, middle to lower income. And one thing that we do is we have internal scholarships and the way that works is the family submits their information to an independent group and they make a recommendation. Now, we never provide more than a 50% scholarship, but even families that are struggling, uh, we keep those kids in school. Sometimes, you know, dad dies or some, kind, some big problem within a family. Uh, we keep those kids in the school. So we have a number of programs that allow lower middle class to access the school and maintain in the school under all conditions. That's great. Um, and, you know, it, it, it's a classical model. What does the classical model mean to you? Why, why go that route? One is that the simple way to think about it is learning from the masters. So we, do we go back to Thales 500 BC and then we go to Aristotle, uh, Thomas Aquinas, 
all the great literature over that period of time, learning history and the repercussions of decisions, learning to be good writers, good communicators, uh, having a depth and breadth of education, not just being on the surface. All that produces a very superior student. They have to do a lot of reading, a lot of writing, and they become good writers over time. And communication in any professional field is absolutely imperative. We also have a program called Luddy Institute of Technology, where high school students can spend one hour a day throughout high school learning engineering. So they are very advanced going into engineering, math, science, and that program is developing really well. And it also includes a vocational aspect of that learning. They actually build things, make things, um, do 3D printing, the whole range of engineering. So I can't let you go without telling me a little bit about your next big project, uh, mm -hmm. which is the Thales College that you have to take some of these ideas and take them up even to the next level. I think it opens its doors maybe later this year. Uh, talk to me about what it is and maybe the challenge of opening a, a college uh, and how it, how it fits into the broader vision. Well, opening a college is a large challenge, as you would know. Now, we elected to do several things that are different. One is we're not accredited. But in North Carolina, the requirement is if you want to issue a degree, is you have to have approval of the UNC Board of Governors. In order to get that approval, you have to submit your curriculum, your professors, et cetera. So it's a type of accreditation, uh, maybe in a lot of respects superior to normal accreditation. Secondly, the college is based on three semesters per year. So in under three years, you get your degree. Additionally, we require internships, vocational education, character development. And for example, part of the character development is you have to be at college 8 a.m. until noon every day. Some students beyond that will go to their internships, to jobs that they work or they will study. So essentially we're developing that student to be a professional person. We go to work from eight till five. Um, we have a lot of discipline in what we do. We're in a professional environment and we offer mechanical engineering, entrepreneurial business, and classical education teaching. Um, the other advantage is the students are closely embedded with their professors, so they can access their professors every day, which to me is really what college is all about, is learning from those professors and learning from those masters over 2,000 years. Well, Bob, I think what you were doing with Thales and now with the college is just phenomenal. And uh, it's always good to talk to you. And thank you for being such a leader in this space. Pleasure to be with you. You have surely heard of Hillsdale College before, a terrific college tucked into Southern Michigan that holds firm to the liberal arts and constitutional values uh, that we all care about and also takes no government money. For more than a decade, Hillsdale has done more than serve as a shining example of principled higher education. Back in 2010, the seeds were planted for the Barney Charter School Initiative, an effort to bring classical education and instruction in moral character and civic virtue into the grade school environment. Beginning with a single school back in 2012, these schools will reach more than 14,000 students in all grades from kindergarten through high school across the country. And Dr. Kathleen O'Toole is the assistant provost for K-12 education at Hillsdale, overseeing the Barney Charter School Initiative, the college's work with 
school fund founding groups, uh, Hillsdale's training for K-12 teachers and the classical curriculum. That is a lot uh, that you've got on your plate. Let me, let me start with a, maybe an obvious question or a silly one, uh, but why is a college involved in K-12 education in the first place? Yeah, very good question. Um, well, first of all, thanks for having me. It's great to be chatting with you. Um, here at Hillsdale College, we primarily work with undergraduate and graduate students. Uh, but since our since our very earliest days, we felt an urgency to bring the teaching mission of the college to the larger audience of the college, which is which is growing precipitously every year. Um, what that means on the ground is, in addition to these these students, we have uh, online courses which are free. Uh, we have this free support that we provide to public and charter and um, private schools across the country and events across the country where we bring professors to lecture on um, on all sorts of subjects. So it's it's part of our uh, our mission to to teach the larger world the things that we study here. Um, and it's also, we think part of our duty. You know, we have we have this deep well of learning going on at the college. Uh, America is in need of of the things that we have to offer. And so out of duty to each other and love for our country, shouldn't we offer it? Talk to me about the evolution of these schools that are have that Hillsdale name, that Barney name attached to them. How did it start and, and kind of how has it changed over time to what it is today? Yeah, well, the, the college has been involved in K-12 education for quite a long time. It all started back in 1990 with the founding of Hillsdale Academy, which is a private school here on campus. And it's a place where teachers are trained. It's a place where people in the community and people at the college can send their children for a classical education. And from its very earliest days, it also served as kind of a model school for private schools across the country. And there was this Academy, Hillsdale Academy reference guide that was published and it was sort of a scope and sequence for the Academy. And it was used by especially small private schools across the country for a very long time. And it was the inspiration for the founding of many schools. Fast forward to 2010 and the, uh, the Barney Charter School Initiative was founded. And the thinking there was, uh, charter schools provide an opportunity to bring sound learning, the liberal arts, uh, strong teaching, and beautiful school culture back into American public schools. And so let's take what we've learned about K-12 education and bring it to everyday students. Uh, there's no reason we thought that it needs to be you know, only available to private school families. So we founded the Barney Charter School Initiative. It started uh, in those early days with just a couple of schools, and we provided them with guidance on everything uh, from what do you teach to how do you teach it to how do you explain the mission of the school to families who are new to classical education and how do you bring the culture of the school along so that everyone who's participating in it is pursuing this this high end of liberal learning and deepening your your knowledge, but also your your moral character over the course of your K-12 years. Um, today, it is growing, growing, growing all the time. I joined the office back in 2019 at a time when there was just massive demand. Uh, and my, my task was to figure out how do we 
satisfy the requests of these many, many people who want to start a classical school or bring this curriculum into their town in some way uh, without lowering the quality. But if, because of course it's, you know, it's hard to start a school. It's really hard to start a classical school when that's, that's really um, doing the mission. And so um, that's what we've been working on since, since 2019. And today it's uh, present in 27 states. Uh, we have just over 100 schools that are using this curriculum or some in some form or fashion. And about 30 of those schools we're working very closely with, providing teacher training and conferences and all that. And you noted there, you know, they're using your curriculum. You're not operating schools in the way that, that uh, some of the, the folks we've talked to earlier in this episode are. So does that mean anybody could start a Barney school and have that that name attached to it, almost like a franchise model? Or are you playing a more active role in scouting out who should be leading these these schools and using the curriculum? Well, it's all application-based. And so you're right, we don't we don't own or operate any of the schools except for Hillsdale Academy here in town, which serves as kind of an example, a model, a place where you can go to see what it ought to look like. Many, many groups apply to start Hillsdale schools, and we evaluate those applications really thoroughly before agreeing to work with them. If we do agree to work with them, it's based on the prospects for classical education in that area, but also that group's ability to bring about a school that's going to adhere to our best practices for governance, for leadership, for curriculum, for school culture, and for classical instruction. And then once we're working with the group, you know, we're we're teachers, we're advisors. The beautiful thing about our model is that it allows the people on the ground, the people who are ch- close to these children, who are invested in their success, who know and love them best, to build something really beautiful and really tailored to those kids in that community. And our job is to teach them what that ought to look like, but then they do it. So you can't just go online and download the the Hillsdale curriculum and just slap it onto your school. You're really hand in glove with these folks to make sure they're doing it right. That's yeah. Neat. And that would, that would never work anyway. Um, because the, the way that, the way that we think about education in, in the classical setting, it's more than just what are the books that you're going to read? It's how do you talk about these books? What is the role of the teacher? What kind of person is the teacher? Um, and then how do you talk to the students about the point of school? Um, and so there's a, there's a, it's a whole way of thinking about the person, the human person and that person's education. So we talked earlier with Great Hearts Academy and Thales Academy. Um, I'm curious how much the curriculum that the Hillsdale schools are using varies from what you might see at a Great Heart school or a Thales school or some of these other schools out there. Is there a lot of variation between the different operators? And I guess to take the question even further, are you going to see a lot of variation even between two Hillsdale schools when it comes to the classical curriculum? <laughs> Depends on who you ask. And the way that I answer that question is, is um, it's, a, it's a funny question to ask. Classical educators love to debate the merits of this or that curricula. There are various ways to approach it. Our, our curriculum, I think, uh, in the high points, if you, if, you, if you compared it and if you compared the, the, the thinking behind it, the foundational ideas upon which it rests, I think that you would find that they, it is very similar to what's happening in other classical organizations. Um, you know, we all, we all believe in 
the liberal arts. We all believe that the teacher needs to be a knowledgeable person who has content knowledge um, before he or she even enters into the classroom. We all think it's important to study Latin. We all think that the things that you study in your K through 12 years um, should be studied for their own sake, not because of some benefit that you're going to get from knowing them, but because they're worth knowing inherently. And we all think that your education shapes you fundamentally and therefore has ramifications for your future, not just your, you know, the job or the college that you're going to get into, but who you are deeply as a person. So I think, I think all of the classical organizations would agree upon that. And so, and that's huge, right? Those are the most important things. There are differences, of course, um, but I think compared to those major points of agreement, those differences are not uh, dispositive. You're getting all this experience in creating a humanities curriculum for K-12, and obviously Hillsdale has a great humanities curriculum. Humanities and sciences. That's one um, thing to note, by the way. A, a lot of times when people hear the word classical education, they think, oh, this is a this is literature, this is history, this is philosophy, this is government. Uh, but it's not math and science. No, it's a it's a well-rounded education. Um, when we're talking about the liberal arts, when we're talking about the classics, we're talking about all of human knowledge and experience. And so it's just as strong on the sciences as it is on the humanities. That's a great point. That's a really good point. Thank you for, for clarifying that because that hasn't really come up yet. Um, and it is true. It is much bigger. I mean, certainly Archimedes and Pythagoras are, would definitely be classical education. Yeah, and, geometry uh, starts with Euclid's elements. Right, right. So yeah. do you see Hillsdale one day going about exporting a humanities curriculum to other colleges in the way you're doing to K-12 schools now? Oh, that's that's above my pay grade. <laughs> <laughs> I, I focus on K-12. through <laughs> well, you're certainly getting a lot of great experience in uh, in developing and sending it out. Certainly room to room to do that because certainly a lot of colleges need that. So, well, <laughs> Kathleen, I really appreciate you talking. Love to hear what Hillsdale is doing here with the Barney schools. I think it's uh, it's a really neat project. Yeah, thank you so much. We're proud of it. And uh, but there's lots of work to do. In the run up to this episode, I had a chance to chat with Steve Barney. He is the namesake of Hillsdale's Barney Charter School Initiative. And like Bob Luddy, he is an entrepreneur who just has a big heart for making sure that every kid gets the education that they need. I find it so inspiring to talk with generous givers and big thinkers like Steve and like Bob, and perhaps like you listening, who see ways to turn philanthropic capital into new ways of offering freedom and empowerment through education choice. This is not the first time we've talked about education on Giving Ventures, and likely won't be the last, both because it's important and because there are so many groups tackling it in interesting and unique ways. I hope you enjoyed hearing about the rising classical education model. Robert said more than 700,000 kids across the country are learning in this way. As the Great Hearts, Thales, and Hillsdale schools and curricula expand, I anticipate that number will continue to go up. Well, I and the team here at Donors Trust would be more than happy to connect you to any of these groups uh, or others in this space or others you've heard about on Giving Ventures. Making these connections and, and growing the funding for projects and groups advancing liberty and free enterprise is central to, to what we do. 
over and above simply offering a a simpler way to do your charitable giving in a safe way in a tax efficient way in one that protects your donor intent if we can help visit donorstrust.org and uh, and read up more you can email us at tellmemore at donorstrust.org well i look forward to talking with you again soon and sharing more exciting projects working to advance our shared principles until then thank you for being a giver let's talk more soon 